Hi everyone, welcome to the Good Health Cafe. I hope you've got your warm drink in hand. My guest today is Mrs. Kimberly Yap. Based in the Greater Toronto area, she is a registered nurse and registered holistic nutritionist who is completing her fertility care practitioner internship. Today, Kim is here to spill the beans on the menstrual cycle and why she thinks it's such an important signal of what is happening in our body. Let's get to the episode. Hi, Kimberly. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. Thank you for coming. Could you please introduce yourself to the audience? First of all, Nikita, I really want to thank you for this privilege and this, this, this opportunity to be able to be on your cafe, a cup of tea or coffee, and just to have a chat with you on menstrual health. My name is Kimberly Yap. I am a wife, a mom of five, four who are living and one little girl in heaven. And I wear three hats as an occupation. I am a registered nurse for 30 plus years. Um, 20 of those years I've worked in the cardiovascular intensive care unit. And what that entails is looking after our patients who've had their bypass surgeries as well as their vascular surgeries. And then I became, or I became interested in nutritional health. And that came as a result of my own life issues in my family. And so I think the first um, that came up with my son with learning issues and learning and, and developmental delays. And it was really disappointing to hear a diagnosis like that or to hear that we need to investigate him for these things. And, um, you know, and over the years I've had, I had the birth of my second child and around the same time when things were happening with my first kid, as he was being investigated, my second son had eczemas. And he was covered with eczemas and it was, it's hard to see a child scratch, you know, he's itching all day long. And so, so that was him. And now by the time I was trying to get him settled, I was now pregnant with my third boy and I had to be on bed rest for 24 at weeks 24 because I was having problems with my pregnancy. So I'm looking at my sons before that need help. And I'm not able to give them the help because I'm on bed rest at this point in time. So I delivered a preterm baby. Now, this would have been my one, two, three, fourth preterm pregnancy. So, and you can probably understand why I'm gravitating to this particular subject, because I have had my own issues with reproductive health and pregnancy issues. So I delivered my fourth, my fourth child, third boy, at um, 34 weeks. Thankfully, his delivery was fine. He was a great baby. And I remember I was leaving the hospital. They um, gave me, you know, little tips and tots about what to do and how to get breast milk. And one of the things that was there was um, using natural met natural for foods like herbs to be able to get more breast milk. And I was like, what? That sent me down another lane looking into natural health and natural medicine. And so that's where I started my journey and trying to discover more about nutrition. But when I started nutrition school at um, the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition, I was blown away because by then I was 20 years a nurse and did not know lots about nutrition. Interestingly, um, in nursing school, we do learn a little bit about nutrition, but not to the depth and degree that I was able to learn through this particular process. Now, it was as I was doing that, and remember, I was studying nutrition for me because I needed to heal my family, you know. And as I was doing that, I came across women in my faith community as I interacted with them, because some of them were my case studies. They were having problems with reproductive health and hormonal issues. I can never forget the woman who I was talking to a friend of mine in a parking lot in, a parking lot in 2010. And she looked very discouraged and downcast. And then she said to me, she says, Kim, you know what? I don't have a sex drive. Now, years before me starting nutri nutrition, from a fit point of view, I would have, a, I would have had, had a problem dealing with that question because we don't talk about those things. But I was so glad that from what I learned from nutrition, it helped me to dig deeper and ask deeper questions. So one of the questions that, that we did ask, so that I did ask is, is that uh, that I didn't know of is with her use of birth control pills since she was the age of 14. And that had an impact on her hormones and of course an added impact on her libido. 
right? And this is where the education needs to happen. I've had women in my faith community, postmenopausal women, coming up to me and saying, you know what, I need help with vaginal dryness. What else is out there? You know, and so with that, as, as, as well as the fact that I've had um, friends of mine in faith community who had issues with fertility, miscarriages or, you know, infertility. And so it was me just zeroing in to the topic of hormonal health and the menstrual cycle. And so now that was done. That's how I got down that path. So I've had my own issues. I've had the issues of paper. And then this door opened up for me to learn even more. So I thought I knew about the menstrual health. Well, then there was another revelation. And so I had the opportunity. It presented itself to me to learn a fertility awareness-based method. And, um, and so I enrolled in the, um, and I am presently doing my internship to become a fertility care practitioner. And I, inter- I enrolled in the Creighton's Model Fertility Care System of teaching and understanding and learning the, 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 men- um, the menstrual health. So that's where I am right now. And so that's where my journey has taken me. And that's my introduction. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) A very holistic introduction. Can you tell us what a fertility care practitioner is? Why would somebody see one? Great, great. So I'll probably talk a little bit more about the Creighton's model fertility care system. Now, one of their biggest focus is to teach fertility care, to teach fertility appreciation. And one of the things we do is to teach a woman to chart her cycle teach her to observe some biomarkers that are there that would help her to have an understanding of what's going on in her cycle. And one of those biomarkers is the cervical mucus. One of the reasons why uh, um, someone would want to come to speak to us as well would be to talk about questions about um, family planning choices without hormones. And there are women who may have used hormones in the past or this is not their choice of, you know, to try to do, um, to, to plan their family and they have, they don't know what else to do. And this is a way that we were able to teach a woman to understand and teach a couple to understand their fertile and infertile times and to make that choice. It's their choice, whether they want to use the system to achieve a pregnancy or to put their pregnancy on hold for a little while. And so that's one of the things that is a part of this particular system. And the beautiful part I love about it, because I love the science, is that they help, um, this particular system is able to help a woman or help women to understand their gynecological health. It was over the years of them teaching this, and this here was the natural family planning method um, that was, first taught, but over the years, they were able to pinpoint the the irregularities that were happening in women's cycles. And so as a result of that, um, NAPRO technology came around. And NAPRO technology means natural procreative technology. And it's a new women's health science. Um, It's taught by um, fertility care practitioners. And that's my dream to become one, as that's why I'm in my internship right now but it's also supported by medical consultants who are trained um, in, and you probably, they may hear the song, the term NAPRO, but they're trained in this particular system to be able to, one, to um, investigate, to diagnose, as well as to support a woman looking at root causes in her um, menstrual cycle and her fertility um, health issues. Okay. So is this, this sounds fantastic if, you know, someone is interested in having a child or they're looking to delay, delay having a child or bring on having a child as quickly as they can. Would somebody who is not looking to reproduce at the moment gain any benefit from tracking their cycle? Yes, yes. You know what? A hundred percent, yes. There is benefit to gain from tracking your cycle as a woman. Women believe that because I have a period, I'm seeing blood flow, everything is okay with me. One of the things, however, is not looked at or not dealt with is that behind the scenes, ovulation is the key and the most important part of a woman's cycle. 
lots of women are having what we call ovulatory issues that are not detected until some of them are ready to conceive, right? And so things that can really put a hamper and a damper on a woman's um, cycle, and she may not even know it because she's not tracking, right? So she may be on medication, like some of the girls who are on antidepressants. They need to know that this can hamper their ovulatory process and it can put an impact on their menstrual cycle. Stress is another one. I could probably give you my little stress story because I wish I was taught this as a younger woman. I remember I got married in 1993. Um, I migrated to Canada in 1995. We did not plan to have kids until we just thought we should probably enjoy each other and just wait a while. Then the opportunity came for us to, to migrate to Canada. I was like, okay, definitely. We will definitely put this on hold for a bit. So we came to Canada in, in the fall and lots of things happen when you migrate. You're, it's a new country. You, um, it's a new system. You're looking for jobs. You're looking for housing arrangements. You're understanding the bus, the transit, the system. Right. And so for us, that was, that was us, eh? So we came in September and by December, I had lost my cycle. I didn't have my period. So I was like, okay, probably I'm pregnant. Well, you know, if you don't have a cycle, you're pregnant. Right. <laughs> so um, I wrote, you know, I wrote home to my mother and I said to her, oh, mama, we're having a baby. You know what? I'll be honest. Two months after arriving here may not have been the right time, but you know what? We were happy and we were going to run with it anyhow. Right. So I wrote to her first, and then I did a pregnancy test. Oh. That was negative. <laughs> I panicked. I panicked. I went to the doctor. The doctor said, oh, nope, you're not ovulating. He sent me to the OBGYN, went to the OBGYN. Oh, no, you're not ovulating. But you know what? We can give you a period. Let's, we'll, do, um, we'll put you in the birth control pill, which they did. And at that time, I was like, you know what? Anything to, 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 you know, to get this process going, you know? And so I was on the birth control pill. And then he said, you know what? During those times, you do not hear everything the doctor says because there's so much that's going on in your mind. There's so much that's going on in your thoughts. And so he said to me, okay, when you're ready to have a baby, we'll do a stimulated cycle. This is where they stimulate the ovaries for you to get a follicle. Well, I didn't know the reason why I needed to have a it, it stimulated, right? Because even though I was a nurse at that point, I did not know all the details about my reproductive health. So what happened is that... Um, you know, when I was ready, I went to him. He gave us the, um, the medication to do the stimulated cycle. And I didn't hear all of the instructions. But anyway, we went ahead. We did not get pregnant that cycle. Um, now, I think by the time I got back to him, he was on vacation. And by the time I spoke to him, he said, well, I'm sorry, we couldn't give you an, you couldn't, you know, the time has passed for you to have that medication again. But as God would have it, we conceived naturally. 20 years later, I would have learned, I would learn that what was happening to me, it was not that I needed a birth control pill to have a period. What was happening to me, it was a stress cycle because I had just made some major changes in my life and my body knew it. I was the body's way of saying, you're not ready for pregnancy right now. I wish someone had told me that as education. And so even to get back to your question about the other things that we can see in um, that in tracking, even if you're not looking for pregnancy at this point in time, you know, endocrine abnormalities, is, PMS is just one that can tell us if we have a shift in our hormones. We have lots of PMS, guess what? We want to know what's going on with those hormones that's happening there. There probably is a, an imbalance in your hormones, metabolic conditions, right? We have lots of PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Women with, you know, lots of high insulin levels that is really throwing out their, their follicles and not pro producing and, and growing as it should. Um, then we have nutritional imbalances. We have, um, we have um, girls who are underweight, right? Very, you know, low BMIs, no body fat to help with their ovulatory processes. Um, we, have, um, we have the underweight, we have the overweight, we have those who are, you know, joining the bandwagon, the exercise bandwagon, 
right? We have our athletes extreme exercising. Um, those we have women with chronic and autoimmune diseases. All of these things have a way of showing up in some little way or the other in our menstrual cycle. Our menstrual cycle is a vital sign to what may be going on in our in our own body. Like just for instance, a woman, um, there was a woman I knew who got diagnosed, her thyroid issue got diagnosed because she was tracking her menstrual cycle. So it's 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 a great um, it's a great way it's a great eye into our own health just by checking and looking at the things that's happening in our menstrual cycle. Now, what sorts of things do people look for in their menstrual cycle when they're tracking it? You know, I'm glad that you asked me that question because I need to tell you that I am on a mission one to to empower and to equip women to learn, to, to love, to learn, and to lavish their wombs with care. My mission is to teach women that they have a choice. And I really want to put that word choice in here because one, they need to know that they have the choice to love their womb, to learn about it, and to lavish it with care. And I want to put that out there. The, you know, that choice is there for them to make. And, you know, again, it's a choice. You want to know more about your system? It's there for you to learn about. And that's why I'm here. Just in case they don't have the opportunity, they've never heard of it before, that's why I'm here, to spill the beans. One of the things I really want women to know as they love their cycle is that they need to value it. You know, men they can see their genitalia. They can feel it and they love their genitalia. And you don't put lots of things by their genitalia. That's price possession. But unfortunately with women, we don't see. I mean, like our uterus is so enclosed and protected in that casing because our pelvic region, we do not see our, our uterus. And unfortunately, lots of things are done to our uteruses because they probably think we don't feel as much. And, you know, we don't see what's happening. And so one of the things I want to teach women and young women is to preserve the integrity of their womb. That's a choice that they have, that they can preserve the integrity of their womb. Yes, it's there for procreation, which is a wonderful gift. Ask the women who are struggling with the inability to have a child, you will understand what a gift it is to have a womb that not only you understand that you know how it's working and that it's working well, right? And so that's it. Yes, it's there for pleasure and intimacy, right? To a deserving person because there are people out there, there are people in relationships out there which is just a getting relation, relationship, right? There's no concern about the whole giving and the whole protecting of this particular woman. She needs to protect herself. She's in control of her body. But our reproductive hormones, as we have a menstrual cycle, those hormones, our estrogens and progesterones, as we will learn about, they are involved in so many other organs. Ask a menopausal woman with all of her brain fog, why you're not thinking straight. It's just because our brains are no longer having the, the influence of estrogen. Right. So and, and ask, ask our girls who, who, who shut down their cycles with their with the birth control pill because there's no estrogen. We have all of the mood issues, some of the depression issues. So it goes beyond just our reproductive system. You know, our brains are affected, our bones, you know, our bones, are, it's important. Estrogen is important for our bone building. Right. We, 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 cut, we shut off our supply of estrogen and progesterone our bones suffer. Our heart, our skin, glowing skin, is also a part of those reproductive hormones. Our womb is valuable and irreplaceable. I know, yes, I've seen, I've heard about womb transplants. It's rare, it's costly, and if they transplant a womb into you, they, don't, they can't keep it into you, keep it in you because they, have, they need to give you anti-rejection drugs. So the woman, it's implanted, 
for that woman. And it's a very rare occurrence. I've not heard much of it. I've heard of one or two stories of it where the woman didn't have a uterus and she, um, she did not have a uterus. And so they implanted one in her. She had the baby. Hope I'm quoted it right. But then they took the uterus out because she would have had to have, I think, anti-rejection drugs and things like that. So um, it's irreplaceable. And one of the and if if possible, if possible, women can preserve the integrity of their wombs to the point where they do not have to have any procedures or issues that can damage their womb. It's advisable. I remember a story, and I'll tell you one of my other stories here of this girl who it was a a, um, a boy and a girl. They were boyfriend and girlfriends, and they were sexually active. And she got pregnant. They were in their twenties. She got pregnant, and at this point now she was. 20 weeks pregnant and um, she lost her baby. So she lost the baby. She had a DNC, which is a dilatation and curatage where they clean out the remains of that conception. And naturally they decided they wanted to have another child because there's that loss. You want to replace, you know, that loss. And so they, um, month after month, they tried conceiving again, trying to conceive again and nothing happened. And the young man said to her, that he doesn't want to see another pregnancy test or else he will walk out on her. Well, guess what? He did walk out on her. But he walked out on her and his conversation to other people was she was broken. And how I heard about her, she was in an Asherman's group. And she said that one of the things she found out was that her uterine lining was scarred. So some people, some people after even that procedure, which was a necessary procedure, could have damage to the lining of the uterus. Now, this was her, this was her situation. And what really hurt me, and I felt sad for her in that when she commented, was that she said, No, I have this. Who will want me? You know, the boy had left her for someone else. I think what was the sad part of this story, because I don't know the whole story, but what was the sad part of the story is that. Just in case, you know, men can, men and infected sperm or defective sperms can be the reason for a miscarriage. If he came to the table with defective sperms that caused the miscarriage, and then she ended up having to have the DNC, that's the sad part. And now she's broken. And who else will take her? And so really to get this, women need to be informed of this to be able to make those informed choices. One of the other things, so even as I alerted to, is the whole thing of it. You can have damage because of bacteria, viruses, or parasites, right? And we know with sexually transmitted diseases, right? I know it's taught about in school, right? And we thought that, you know what, you can always have antibiotics and things like that to, 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 um, to deal with those situations. But, you know, prevention is always better than cure, you know? Um, and then there's the other thing of poor vaginal health. And this is the one I like talking about a lot because talking about vaginal flora, because when I talk about vaginal flora, it means we have to talk about digestion and what's going on in the gut, right? About all of those, 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 those um, microbiotics, the, those, the microflora that, that's in there. And so poor vaginal health as well can have an impact on a woman's uterine lining and function. So really cluing into how to really look after our system is, is so, so important. And so that's why I kind of leap into right now the whole thing about um, learning to know what is normal versus what is not. Because what we're taught is that some things are commonly seen, but that doesn't mean that it's normal, right? So we need to know what is normal and what is not. And so... I have prepared for your listeners a checklist. If they would love to grab that checklist, it's just, it's just a getting to know your system a little bit more. And I mean, it's like, you know, I am, um, and as we go through, we learn some things about the menstrual cycle, which in there's some aspects of the menstrual cycle that is stressed and some of it is not stressed. And so I created this little check checklist that, you know, a woman can go through it you know, and looked at it. And if she needs some more information, guess what? Go do your own searching. This information is there. And so um, just there is a checklist there. I know lots of women have charting apps 
that is available and there's tons of apps on the, the internet and I have used an app as well. But not all apps work for everyone. For women who have irregular periods, that charting app has no idea whether you're in a stress cycle. They have no idea what's going on with your hormones, right? So it's just a, it's just a record keeping in that sense. So um, even as I um, just, you know, continue, I'll probably just touch on a little bit here that, you know, the medical system, even as I talk about, um, I talk about calendar methods, I talk about the charting apps, and I know that there is the whole myth out there that, you know, this thing that we're, t- we're talking about here, it, you know, it just does not work, you know, and, you know, the, you know, in medical school, I think the doctors are taught, you know, what do you call natural family planning? And they said, you call it a baby. And you know what? And you know what? It is probably true if you're looking at rhythm method and if you're looking at calendar method. And one of the reasons why it's true, and it's because we have lived with the myth that everyone has a 28-day cycle. Every woman do not have a 28-day cycle, right? So if we work with the rhythm method and the calendar method, we can be, yes, having a baby, if we don't understand what's going on in our system. Um, just to clarify, yeah, sure. make sure everybody's on the same page. So the calendar method is the method that assumes that you have 28, a 28-day cycle. And what is the rhythm method? Well, it's basically almost the same thing. Same the thing. Same okay. Rhythm. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you recommend instead what method? So what we do, what we do, we teach women to understand the signs of fertility. So we want women to understand their menstrual cycle for themselves like nothing other. Your menstrual cycle is your own, right? You have your own different issues going on, your different makeup. And so on a given day, things will shift in your menstrual cycle. And so by helping women to understand what is, what is unique to them, gives them the opportunity to understand their days of fertility and the days of infertility. And I like the added bonus of understanding if you have any gynecological issues there. So right about now, I'll probably just go through quickly the menstrual cycle um, and the things that we zero in on, that we would love to zero in on when we look at a woman's menstrual cycle. Um, I know for sure, <laughs> I know we will talk about the, you know, the flows. And I heard someone talk about the two flows. And um the two flows, two important flows in a women's cycle, and the first being um, the red flow, right, which is our period or our menses, and the second flow. I this one blew me out of the water because I didn't know lots about it, and um, the second flow was the white flow, what we call cervical mucus, and I'll you know, and um, I'll just probably stick a story in here about a young 16-year-old girl that I met when I was doing a medical mission down in Guyana in 1994. And um, she came to the clinic and she came because she said, I'm passing whites. Now, I'm a nurse at this time and I'm a new wife at this time. And sorry, that probably have that some judging a little bit. So I asked her the next question. Are you sexually active? And she said, yes, she was, you know. Um, and, you know, of course, we passed her over to the doctor. We had a, gyneco- and a, um, a gynecologist on the staff, I think, at that time. Years later, I look back and I'm like, wow, this would have been a great teaching opportunity. Yes, it could have been that she was seeing white discharge that may have been indicative of probably an infection. I don't know a yeast infection, we'd have to talk a little deeper to find out what. But probably it could have been that she was absorbing something that was natural and normal and didn't know what it was. And this was such, and it was a missed opportunity that at this age, I'm not making sure it's a missed opportunity again, right? And so it's so important for our women to understand this particular aspect of their their their, their menstrual cycle. Menstrual cycle length, and we talked a little bit about it, the misconception that it's only 28 days. A woman's menstrual cycle can vary from between 21 to 38 days in length. Normally, we would love to see around 25 to 31 days. Some women have shorter cycles, and those shorter cycles can be less than 24 days. Some women just have a 21-day cycle. 
And I like to, and when I looked at a 21 day cycle in a, uh, you know, we have 31 days in a month. Mm-hmm. If a woman, a woman can, and I just want to make sure I say this clearly, that um, in 31 days, a woman with a 21 day cycle, a very short cycle, can ovulate at day 10 and at day 31 of that cycle. Meaning if she had her first, her period comes on the first of, which day, the first day of the month, right? And then she ovulates by day 10. And then she has her period again by 20, day 22. By day 31, she could be ovulating again, right? And so this is not the usual thing. I just know I needed to put that in. But there are women who may have frequent cycles. And one of the, the age group of women who need to hear to pay, pay attention to this are those women who are in the premenopausal years. Any woman should really be really keen in on this. And one of the things that happen in this particular cycle, we talk about it again when we come to the mucus and that those observations and how we key in on this particular aspect of a short cycle. Then we have the women with the long cycles. The cycles are greater than 38 days. Some women have a 40-day cycle, a 60-day cycle, 90-day cycle, right? I mean, questions to ask, and this is one of the reasons why it's so great to talk to a fertility care practitioner, if you can find one, because there are questions where you're going to be asking, right? You know, is this woman breastfeeding, right? Is she coming off the birth control pill? Does she have PCOS? What's going on with her thyroid? You know, is she anorexic? Is she starting a new diet? Is she doing extreme dieting? Is she doing extreme exercising? And in the case of a young girl, is she menar- you know, now starting menarche, right? Because with the young girls, the follicles are not mature enough. And so those hormones take a longer time to stimulate those follicles to grow. And that young girl may see a longer cycle than 28 days, right? And so if she's started every 28 days and then she's just starting out 28 days, I've not seen it, it's four to five days till she sees it right? She needs to make sure, then we need to make sure that that information goes across. And her mom knows that as well. Then we look at the blood flow, you know, three to seven days, maybe around the normal um, range in which you want to see a blood flow pattern. But some women just see a blood flow pattern of one or two days. Mm. What's going on with this lady's endometrial lining, right? Um, If this is a woman who's trying to conceive, I mean, this is a picture that your endometrium probably is not going to be great enough to sustain a pregnancy, right? Um, is she on a birth control pill? And I know I've heard of young girls who are happy about one or two days of a period, you know, and they're on the birth control pills, right? And this is not a natural, you know, this is not the greatest, right? And then some women we want to know, okay, is this really a period? Because it could be spotting. It could be, you know, two days of spotting in between, right? And one of the great things about charting and the charting that we teach we're able to see where that bleed is. Is it, yes, indeed a blood flow that is associated to the period or is it a blood flow associated with something else? So it's quite very important to understand what's going on in, in those flows. And then we have women with longer flows, more than eight days. They may be bleeding huh. for more than eight days, right? You know, and um, it's, is it heavy? Do you have clots during those days? You know, are we having such a, um, the endometrium lining is building up so much. It's unopposed, you know. We need, we need progesterone to come and firm up that lining. But what's happening in a woman's cycle? Um, you know, it can be hormonal. It can be structural, right? These are things that we really want our women to clue in on. I know we see the doctor and unfortunately, the first prescription that is given to us when things like this are happening, and I was one of those, mm-hmm. it was you're given the birth control pill, right. right? And you know what? I want to make sure that us women, we're able to explore. And I love what you do, Nikita, because it's this whole thing of advocacy, right? right? Yeah. We want to make sure that we know about our system that we can advocate. But I know in our medical system, it's not easy advocating for ourselves. It's not. <laughs> I know that. I know that. And I know, listen, and I'm a nurse and I have also suffered from that mm-hmm. where I thought that because I'm a nurse and I can advocate and I was told that I Google too much and things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but women need to know these things. I wish I had known that 20 plus years ago. 
And then there's some other issues, like stru structural issues that can probably prolong a bleed and cause other bleedings. It could bleed and it could be polyps, adenomyosis. This is where the endometrial lining kind of, it's, you know, growing inside of the woman's mus um, uterine muscle. We have the fibroids, which we know lots about. And, and then mm -hmm. for our, you know, the African quote-unquote demographic, you know, lots of fibroids. You know, we see lots of fibroids there. I mean, like those are things to ask about if we are seeing that, you know, we're having these long and these heavy bleedings, right? Um, then there's the whole thing of malignancies and, and um, lots of cases where the, the lining just keeps growing, right? And so some of these things can really um, push for, you know, different changes in our menstrual cycle mm -hmm. um, in that bleeding pattern that we're talking about. We may have um, issues with... Um, coagulation. I remember one of the first girls I spoke to was a college girl that was visiting my area. And, you know, way back then, and this is a couple of years ago now, I was, and I didn't know lots then, you know, but it's just, it's just been evolving. And I was talking about the menstrual cycle and stuff like that. And she asked me a question and she said she, she hit puberty very early. She, I was around eight plus years old. And um, she said she bled for three weeks. Oh no. And then they put her in the birth control pill. Mm -hmm. You know, and so there's lots of questions. And I can remember recently talking with another colleague, um, someone that I know who she bled lots after um, her pregnancy. And as we kind of explore this, you know, there was this whole thing. Could it have been? And there's this particular syndrome, Von Willebrand syndrome. It's a syndrome that has a problem with our platelets. Mm -hmm. It's hereditary and it's great for women to probably understand that particular syndrome because it's a case where, you know, some of them may have nosebleeds, lots of nosebleeding. That's, you know, it's not even related to the weather, right? They may have long, heavy periods, right? They may have a cut and it bleeds a little longer, right? You know what? It's no harm to ask. Right. You know, is this something that, that I do have? Um, then there's issues that we talked about before with ovulatory dysfunction. There are other cases where people may be having, um, it's what, iatrogenic, where, you know, it's something that we've mm -hmm. taken, a drug that we've taken, right. or um, um, a procedure that was probably done, or um, probably the IUD devi a device mm -hmm. that's probably in place that could probably cause some prolonged um, bleeding. And some other cases, this is where they're still really trying to understand what's really happening. I've noted so far, you said cycle length, blood flow. You mentioned cervical mucus. Yes, we, and I'm going to build upon the blood flow at this point ah, in time. Okay. Because, yes, we wanted to know the difference if we've ovulated or not, mm -hmm. right? So for a woman who's ovulated, her blood flow pattern looks a particular way. Mm. It has a particular pattern. And this is, you're able to differentiate this pattern if she is ovulated and if she has not. And the pattern is the woman can start to have a men, her menstrual cycle can start off light, then goes to moderate, then to heavy, back to moderate, to light or very light, or it can start heavy, moderate, and then light. Very important to know. Note that this may be in what we call an ovulatory cycle and an ovulatory event. In comparison to the woman who may have a cycle where she's just seeing it's probably long and she's just seeing light, 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 right? Like spotting. And she may say, well, that's my period. No, that's not a period. Really a great time to figure out, okay, what's happening? I remember I had a 22-year-old girl who contacted me because um, she was having long cycles and she had some red bleeding and then she had some cases where her bleeding was brown in between. So we had to talk about that. Her cycles were long. She was 22. We kind of tried to figure out when she started her menstruation. I was probably around 15 years old. Okay, fine. It should be mature by now. She's 22 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things she said to me is that whenever she has her period, it has more of a brightish red color. You know, yeah. she has pain with that cycle. But then there's other times when she has this period and it's kind of really more of the brownish kind of look and she doesn't have a pain with that cycle. Mm. And we were able to talk about that because that in itself may tell us what something is, she has long cycles, something is going on, her uterine lining is unstable and it's breaking mm -hmm. away and that's what she's seeing. So women need to know this difference, right? When we have these, the, the blood that's, that, that's showing up in between. Okay. And to talk to our doctors about it because they may think it's a period, 
which is probably not a period. So they may go to the doctor and say, I'm having periods so often. You need to make the differentiation. Is it a period or it's, it's, you know, some extra bleeding that's happening there. When it comes to red blood versus brown blood, which one are we supposed to be seeing or, are, or should we be seeing both? Right. So now we talk about ovulation. Mm-hmm. And after ovulation, what happens is that the, the hormone progesterone is produced. Now, just to backtrack a little bit, that little follicle, I like to look at it like a basket that was holding this egg, right? Once at ovulation, that egg, that basket opens up and that egg is ruptured out. The basket in itself is not, it's good for use because it's converted into what we call the corpus luteum. The corpus luteum now is responsible for producing progesterone. Now, when progesterone is produced, it has a building effect and a strengthening effect on the endometrium. Because guess why? If conception takes place, that baby needs to know that he is landing, he or she is landing on a firm foundation, mm-hmm. right? And what's there is lots of blood vessels. The blood vessels really permeate through the endometrial lining, glands permeate through the sorry, the endometrial lining to make sure that that surface is rich and ready to accept an embryo. So in the presence of um, progesterone, when there is no conception and the hormone falls off gradually, there's a gradual eventually breaking away of that uterine lining and that becomes our period. So, and that shows that we, the redness shows that we've had the influence of progesterone. We've had the influence of um, some blood supply there, right? Um, so now for, for women sometimes who've had um, these long cycles or you may see some red spotting, but then you may also see some brown bleeding. It depends on where that brown bleeding is. That brown bleeding can show up after a period. That brown bleeding can show up elsewhere in the period, right? And we want to know where that is. It can be, it can also say, yes, it's an unstable uterine lining that didn't, that wasn't influenced by progesterone. Um, but there's also other things that can show up. Low progesterone levels, there are other things, sometimes even inflammation um, because of microorganisms can show up there. So um, just one of the things that... Um, some of the, the doctors who are detectives can, you know, really look into to see, okay, what's really happening there. So just to make sure that people know that, um, yes, there are these things that can show up, but guess what? Sometimes it may be commonly seen, but sometimes they're not normal. So that was for blood flow, um, the blood flow pattern that you asked about. And then to go on to the other things that we can be looking for in a menstrual cycle. So it's interesting to note that, um, We've had two flows, but between the two flows, we've had what we call dry days. And during those dry days, lots of things are happening. During the dry days, we have follicle selection, our uterine lining is building up, and um, and things start to happen during those dry days. Now, um, and we call that phase a follicular phase. Some women have short, no dry days, Mm-hmm. Some women have short dry days and some people have long dry days. It's those, there's that period of the cycle that determines a woman's length of her cycle, right? And so one of the things I want to talk about is the women who have no dry days. These are the women who have shorter cycles where they start to have their red flow. So they have their periods and they go straight into their mucus, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you've heard about the women who get pregnant during their menstrual cycle, it's because of this particular situation. Uh-huh. Because for these women with shorter cycles, their mucus, that fertile mucus that indicates ovulation starts, it can start to show up even as she's ending off her period. So it's very important for women to really pay attention to what's happening with their, with their cycle. So, okay, fine, my bleeding is finished and I and the myth that we were told is that, yes, you ovulate on day 14. So there are lots of women and couples who have decided to say, okay, fine, I can use this day. This is right after my cycle that I can use this day and save, mm-hmm. right? But if she does not know that there is a presence of cervical mucus there because she hasn't been tracking, right? We can see why, you know, some women, mm-hmm. even, even though they're probably using other methods when it's day 14 or around there, 
right? If they're not really paying attention to what's happening, they can miss that very important um, sign. But then we have, during the days of dryness, it's interrupted by what we call cervical mucus, mm-hmm. right? And the cervical mucus is the indicator that ovulation is approaching. It's a transport system for sperms. It's a great highway. That's the way the sperms get up to where it's supposed to go. And it also tells us about our estrogen production in our body. So cervical mucus is important. It's not an annoyance. (laughs) It has a very important function. And um, mucus normally follows those dry days. Or as I said before, in some cases, it may show up earlier. Mm -hmm. And that's why women need to know of this particular aspect, right? And when mucus shows up, it has a particular um, color and consistency. It can start off as being creamish, very small amounts of creamish. And that tells us that, you know what, that follicle is beginning to grow, you know, and as the follicle grows, more estrogen is produced. And as more estrogen is produced, it stimulates the cervix, which is responsible for supplying that cervical mucus. And the mucus changes consistency to an egg white-like consistency that's very stretchy and is important. I have been speaking with my girlfriends and we talked about this. We saw this stuff and did not know what it was. And mm-hmm. we did not know how to approach our parents about it. Right. And so guess what? I am so glad that women are going to be listening to your program so that they can hear. And listen, if you have daughters, you need to talk to your daughters about it. You know, it's interestingly, last night I was talking to my daughter. She's eight years old. And um, she went into the bathroom and I said to her, did you wipe yourself properly? She said, right. Okay. Yes, mommy. I said, how did you wipe? She says, from the front to the back. I said, okay, we'll be talking again about one of the things that you can look for when you wipe. She says to me, oh, mommy, I hear you talking with your clients. You keep <laughs> asking them, did you wipe from front to back or back to front? Did you see this? And I was like, oh, my dear. But you know what? I'm actually looking forward to having the conversation because I guess it's been prepared easily for yeah. me. I didn't know she was hearing this. Mm-hmm. So it's quite, you know what? Moms need to alert their daughters that this mm-hmm. is a special part of them, right? And they need to be aware. And so the length of the mucus is also important. So not only do what shows up, and this is one of the things about the Creighton's model, our, the, the biomarker that we focus in a lot is the cervical mucus, right? And the consistency. And we ask our women lots of questions about this, right? And so the length of the mucus is important because, you know, in Creighton's, we look at short um, mucus flows, limit, limited mucus, we would call it, right? And they see patterns in this in women with their fertility issues. So great revelation okay. with this. What about pain? Is, is pain something that you track when you're tracking your menstrual cycle? Yeah. So I know they say pain is common. Pain mm-hmm. isn't really, it, it, they say pain is normal. It's commonly seen, mm-hmm. but it's not normal. Lots of women who have a menstrual cycle without pain. There are lots of women who have pain, lots of pain in their menstrual cycle. And yes, we need to exactly ask lots more questions regarding that pain. Mm-hmm. Is the pain um, impeding or impacting your life? Mm-hmm. If it's impacting your life, it's impacting your way of life. You can't go to school on that first day. You can't go to work on that first day, you know, kind of stuff. Some women are taking lots more medication. So some women can, can manage that pain with um, easy over-the-counter ibuprofen and stuff like that. But some women are taking a different level of anti-inflammatories to even help with that pain. It's very important to look into it. And I'm glad that you asked the question because endometriosis is on the rise and we see lots of it. Lots of women with endometriosis having severe pains, Mm -hmm. right? And that needs to be um, investigated. Unfortunately, you know, I was just reading an article of a woman who went to England, Canadian woman, Mississauga, who went to England to have surgery because her menstrual pain was not being addressed, Mm -hmm. 
right? And so that one is a very important question, very, very important observation. Um, there are ways in which, um, yes, women can look at their look at their diets to see, okay, fine, am I, you know, overindulging in the omega-6s, which is inflammatory versus the omega-3s, which is anti-inflammatory, oh. right? Just looking at your diet, it's a, you know, see what's happening there. Um, one of the other little tidbits is even looking at magnesium. Magnesium, am I eating my leafy greens and vegetables as I should? And I'm going to just say all of that. If I'm, I'm saying the food things, you know, you know, am I eating my, my leafy greens and vegetables? Am I eating, you know, my, is my magnesium stores, you know, okay. up, right? Because magnesium is a, it's a muscle, it's a relaxant, right? It relaxes the nerves while calcium contracts magnesium kind of really helps to relax. And so that's another great one. Great one to look in at your diet first. Always make sure, okay, fine. We got to look and see what's happening with, with, with our nutrition and stuff like that, right? And so beyond that, you know, you know, and we're going to other things, definitely we need to talk to our doctors. He even asks a question, mm-hmm. right? The pain is so much, yes. I know you can give me the birth control pill, which would lessen the pain, but guess what? It, it just shuts down my system. But what if it's this? Mm-hmm. You know, could it be this, right? Um, and um, endometriosis is normally diagnosed actually by surgery, oh, right? Yeah. So it's now, you know, it's now in- invasive, right? So I know there, I guess there are people who are looking to see, even with, you know, the model that we look at Creighton, they're looking to see what else can we pick up by the charting. So this is all new, evolving and continuing to see, okay, what else can we see changes in a woman's cycle that would tell us that probably, you know, this is happening. It's not there yet, as far as I know, but that is something that, um, that we kind of look, we're looking at as well, even as we look at a woman's patterns. So if someone is listening and thinks, okay, I, I'm convinced, I think I want to chart. How often should you chart before you can start to pick up any noticeable patterns? And where do you find the chart to use? Okay, great question. So with um, the Creighton's um, Fertility Care Method, one of the things that we do, we work with, we don't work in isolation, we work with medical consultants across Canada and America. There's some other countries that are out there and um, you may be able to pick up one fertility care practitioners. And there is, the, um, there is a site that you can go to, which is www.fertilitycare.org. And on there, there's listings of so many women like myself and myself to be who are out there willing to teach women about their menstrual cycle and teach them via Cradle's model. One of the things our medical consultants do is that she requires, she or he requires that a woman is charging for two complete cycles. That's two months because she is looking for a natural, she wants to see what her cycle looks like. Now, if this is a woman who's a single woman who has, is not having sexual activity, you know, I like those ones. Those ones are easy to deal with because we don't have to put a husband on hold and uh-huh. kinds of stuff like that, right? But she's mm-hmm. been, we're able to look at her cycle. So what she does, we, um, we normally, and just to go through the procedure with this is that we normally have, as they, they, they indicate interest, we have what we call an introductory session. Okay. It's about probably about an hour and a half. And we sit down there with them and we t- teach them about not as detail, because when we meet with them after time after time, we continue to teach them about their menstrual cycle, what they're looking for, why they're looking for it. And so we have an introductory session first. And with that, they said, okay, fine. Yes, I think I want a chart. I don't want a chart, you know, but if they want a chart, we ask them if it's a couple that we ask the wife, the husband and wife, if to abstain for one month, because we want to see this woman's cycle pattern without the influence of seminal fluid. Okay. Because seminal fluid has an appearance of mucus, right? The next day. So we want to see the patterns of her cycle. And so the doctor wants to see two months of charting before and to see what's showing up on that cycle. And that's the way they go systemically. They're looking for length, they're looking for blood flow, they're looking for mucus flow, they're looking for the luteal phase to see what's happening at the back, you know, kind of stuff like that. And, and I love that systematic way that they look at it. 
Wow. And so, um, so that was, I think I've answered all your questions where they can get the charts from. Yes, just seek out a fertility care practitioner. Um, as I said, all over the US, Canada. Um, and if you need my information later, you can have my information as well. Mm-hmm. So do you have any closing thoughts as we wrap up? Great. A couple of closing thoughts I do have, yes. Um, one, um, I know you asked me the question, um, who should learn this? And I'll probably expand and say more that, you know, moms, and I'm glad we had a little conversation and I'm glad I had a conversation with my daughter, that moms with daughters, you need to be your daughter's first resource, mm-hmm. right? Oh, please let us be our daughter's first resource. And we need to be comfortable understanding this to be able to speak with them. And this is something that, yes, a fertility care practitioner, and there are some of them who does do this, you know, in the different little segments can, can give to you. We want single women, our adolescent women to learn this, right? The ones premarital, the women who are going to couples that are getting married, just let's learn this before you get married. One of the reasons being is that in Canada, I know, I'm not sure about the United States, but in Canada, if a woman has a miscarriage, she's not investigated until it's a third miscarriage. Oh, interesting. I know, I know of people who have had one miscarriage, two miscarriage. They did not even make it to the third miscarriage because they never got pregnant again. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, a woman learning or a couple learning to track their cycles beforehand can pick up one of the things we call luteal phase defect, where it's a short luteal phase. You know, after they ovulated, they should have about 13 or 14 days, but they're not reaching 13 or 14 days length. Mm. We're just shopping, stopping at seven days or eight days. Those, that's too short. If a couple is tracking their cycle and with a practitioner, they notice that okay. off the bat, right? So it's so great for, uh, you know, couples, you know, to learn this. You're learning an aspect of your fertility. And for women with hormonal issues, infertility, those with miscarriages I was just talking about, you know, education is so important and it's key. And just before I talk about the other little things that I want to do in, in, in wrap up, I got to give you a good news story. Yes. And you know what? And because I kind of talked about some not so good news stories before, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But I got to tell you about one of this, this, this girl. And, you know, and she was my colleague. I worked with her. We worked on the night shift. Then we were on the night shift one day. And I can remember the beds that we were at. But anyhow, um, you know, she, we were chatting and she said to me, you know, Kim, you know, I'm married now. I said, no, I didn't know you got married. And she said, yes, I'm married now, but I can't have any kids. And I haven't been any kids, you know. I'm not sure exactly why she came to me. I'm not sure that she knew all the details about what I was doing or what. I can't remember. But we talked about it. And I said to her, listen, I'm going to go home in the morning and I'm going to send you some information. Right? I got home. The first thing I did was send her some information. She printed the information. And I'm glad in your advocate. She printed the, the information. And she took it to her doctor and she said, do I have this? Mm -hmm. That's when her doctor worked her up for PCOS. Okay. Before then, all her doctor was saying to her was, no, keep having sex. Keep on trying. Keep on trying. And she says, Kim, how much more keep on trying I can be Mm -hmm. be doing, right? And so she said the doctor um, worked her up for PCOS. He gave, put her on metformin, which is one of the standard medications that they do. But she said, Kim, I couldn't tolerate it, tolerate it. But she had to make up her mind to lose some weight. She lost 10 pounds. She got pregnant with twins. Wow. This is the good news story. Yeah. Education is key. Mm-hmm. Right. And so with that, my closing thoughts, even as I have done the, you know, I've kind of gone through all the little steps and stages. It's a holistic, it's a whole really holistic approach. And it includes things like your nutrition. Nutrition is key. We need to make sure that um, we're supplying the nutrients that our ovaries need yes. to grow. Mm-hmm. Right. We supply that, that, that the nutrients that is important for that. We talked about stress. We're now going to talk about sleep. Sleep is important. Now, one of the things about the sleep is that there's this, this hormone 
melatonin, which is our sleep hormone. Melatonin kicks in at around seven o'clock in the the evening, and it kind of dissipates in the morning before sunrise. Before then, we have cholesterol, sorry, cortisol. Cortisol is there, you know, the sun rises, so does cortisol. And it kind of wanes as we come down so that, you know, melatonin can take Mm -hmm. its place. Melatonin is also important for the follicle. Melatonin apparently acts like an antioxidant as well. So, you know, let me, I'm not saying that the ovary, that the follicle is going to get rusty, but <laughs> antioxidants has a way of protecting, right? It's like um, protecting the, the, the cell from damage, mm-hmm. right? And so antioxidant has this same ability to help the follicles. Now, the thing about it is if we're too stressed that we're not sleeping well, we know that our follicular health is going to suffer. Night workers, you got nurses who are working the night shift and are having problems with their menstrual cycle. Key, I'm a night worker. And to be honest, I have to pay attention to myself because I've been working night for over 10 years, right? And so sleep is important for the follicles. I've had someone said to me, oh, I, I can only survive on five hours of sleep. I can't survive on five hours of sleep. Not enough sleep. And unfortunately, that, that person had issues with her menstrual cycle, issues with even conceiving. Mm-hmm. So take into consideration that our follicles need sleep. And this is important too for the girls who are studying way into the night, right? We could see where we kind of depleting our melatonin, you know, action that, you know, really needs to be doing in our body. But then, you know, we're watching movies late into the morning. We're playing video games late into the morning. Very important. We need to sleep. Our follicles depend on it. Our environment. There's some things in our environment we can change, but there's some things that we really can't change. But the things that we can change and that we can do, really to pay attention to those things. You know, pay attention to the things that we have in our houses. Um, you know, whether the fragrances, whether it's, um, you know, the things like, you know, you know, everyone who loves to smell sweet but it could be at the expense of other things, right? We got to pay attention to that. We got to pay attention to, and I kind of skipped over these things, but I'll go back to nutrition. Yes, because, but we can eat the best of food, but if our digestive system is not working well, we're not going to absorb the nutrients that we need to absorb. So digestion is very important, right? So if I have someone who's having lots of bloating, who's passing lots of gas, and guess what? I talk about stinky gas and I talk about stinky poop, right? Those are signals that we need to get some, you need to address those things because it's probably saying that some stuff's not going on great in your gut. And you know what? If the gut is not working well, there's some cases where our estrogen elimination could be hampered. Oh. And so estrogen elimination, if it's hampered, it kind of, you know, spills back. It's just like a house, right? You know, we're not emptying out properly. And so the house just fills up with that, with the garbage, the garbage, mm-hmm. the garbage. We need the garbage to go out. So I'm not saying that estrogen is garbage, but estrogen, when it's the cycle is over, we need to get fresh estrogen. The past estrogen needs to go, right? So we need good bowel movements. Bowel movements are important. I know of girls, nurses as well, who are not at all bothered by going to the bathroom two or three every two or three days. No, we need to go regularly to the bathroom, right? And then comes the liver, because the liver is what processes our 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 estrogens, right, and our hormones, and you know packages it into the bile so that it spills into the to to the intestines to be gotten rid of, right? So we want to make sure that our our livers are working well. And you know what? There are foods, I know people talk a lot about detoxes, but there are foods that we eat that is responsible to help to get that detoxification going, right? And I'll just kind of just mention that, you know, for now. So those are some of the... (laughs) (laughs) Like which foods? Great foods for detoxification. Great. I can pull those out. One of the things they talk about is those great leafy vegetables, greens. Um, you have your kales, your cauliflowers, your broccolis. And one of the things about those ones is the, the cruciferous vegetables. They're, we're told that they help 
with the breakdown as well as the elimination of estrogens. So get the cabbage soups and, you know, the broccolis, the cauliflowers, the Brussels sprouts, they're great. There is also their, um, hope I'll see it right, calcium deglucurate. And that's another probably chemical part of our foods found in apples and apparently pears. That's also helpful for getting those, um, helping with our estrogen, you know, metabolism, detoxification and things like that. Um, they say all of the berries, you know what, let's just eat the rainbow. You know, all of the berries you have, because I, I know that, and as much as I'm talking about berries here, I, I am aware of the fact that all of your audience may not be just in North America, Fair. right? Yeah. And, and there is lots of fruit with lots of color that has those phytochemicals that may be so beneficial for our whole body. Okay. So, you know, I mean, it's like, like you know, where I am from, Guyana, we don't have blueberries down there, but I am sure we have a good jamun down there. You know, that purple color, you know, you know kind of stuff there that's probably good, just as good. Whatever red fruit we have there, you know. So, yes. you know, across the continents, I know there is food and God's good earth that is there to help to heal our bodies and to nourish our bodies. Fantastic. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Kim, for coming to the Good Health Cafe. It was a pleasure having you here. You shared with us so much great information. I am so glad. And it was a very good, it was a privilege for me to be here. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed the episode. The link to access the checklist Kim mentioned is in the episode notes along with information on how to get in touch with her if you'd like to learn more about her services and what we discussed today. Did you know that the Good Health Cafe also has a blog? Subscribe to our mailing list on thegoodhealthcafe.com to get updates when new blogs or episodes are posted. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram too. See you in the cafe next time. Bye!